Welcome to the Gospel for Life. We have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but rather it's for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. I'm Josh Bales, pastor of the Well Church, here with Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Phil Moran, pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church, and Jonathan Van Hoogen, pastor at Spring United Reformed Church. Now, if you'd like to find out more about us or catch past broadcasts or get information about our annual conference, you can find us at ReformationVoice.com. All right, welcome back to the show. Um, I think I missed this, but it is the, the 500th year anniversary of one of the most famous speeches in world history. Uh, Martin Luther was brought before uh, the Diet of Worms, and he was told that he must recant of his doctrine, um, and this is what he said. Since your most serene majesty and your high mightinesses require of me a simple, clear, and direct answer, I will give one, and it is this. I cannot submit my faith either to the Pope or to the Council, because it is as clear as noonday that they have fallen into error and even into glaring inconsistency with themselves. If, then, I am not convinced by proof from Holy Scripture or by cogent reasons, if I am not satisfied by the very text I have cited, and if my judgment is not in this way brought into subjection to God's Word, I neither can nor will retract anything, for it cannot be either safe or honest for a Christian to speak against his conscience. Here I stand. I cannot do otherwise. God help me. Amen. It's part of the reason why we're here this morning. Yep, that's right. Great principle of the Reformation. Yeah, amen. So we're we're talking in this short series about the topic of conscience. And as always, we always have to start with our definitions, right? So brothers, what is a conscience? And what it, what is it not? Um, the conscience is... Um, that um, inner voice, inner conviction, but it has to be grounded in something bigger than the individual. Um, one of the things that I'm going to talk about in uh, over the and I'll I'll touch on this more as as we go along in in this series, but the definition of conscience has changed since Luther's time. When Luther said uh, to go against conscience is not, neither safe nor right, um, he did not mean that he was simply obeying a, a subjective inner voice. He meant that he was submitted to something bigger than him. Uh, he meant that he was his conscience was captive to the Word of God, and he could not go against uh, Scripture, the Word of God. And uh, today, what in the modern world, what most people mean when they say conscience, they're talking about an inner voice uh, that's not grounded in anything other than what I think is right. And uh, Luther was talking about something much bigger. Well, I think that, you know, you know when we go back in, in history, in church history and that, we find uh, they had that uh, sense that this was, you know, 
in some ways, they had a divine understanding of of an aspect of that inner voice. And Thomas Aquinas actually said, the conscience is the God-given inner voice that either accuses or excuses us in terms of what we do. So there's an acu- something accusing and something excusing, and it's outside, it's outside of us. Well, it's actually internal to us, but he recognized that as the divine voice. John Calvin spoke and said, uh, spoke of the conscience as the divine sense that God puts into every person, and part of that divine sense being conscience. And so, um, when you're talk, Phil, talking about something bigger, uh, that's the bigger that we as uh, um, believers need to keep in mind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul in in Romans two, um, kind of one of the best places I think that actually defines conscience. Although there's other places that give you <clears throat> principles of conscience. In Romans two, um, Paul's talking about the Gentiles, and and how one of the reasons why they are without excuse for not honoring God or giving thanks to God is because of something that God gave them, and namely the conscience. In Romans two, it says, verse fifteen, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. So um, here, obviously, Paul is not conflating conscience with the law of God that is written on their hearts. The law of God is one thing. The conscience is another thing. What the conscience does is the conscience acts as a witness. The conscience looks at your behavior and the conscience looks at the the law of God that's written on the heart. Mm-hmm. And then the conscience says, oh, you've done well because you've your your behavior is is in line with the law of God or you've done evil because your behavior is not in line with the, the with the law of God. So that's, you know, there, there's different ways that the conscience plays out, but that's that's mm-hmm. one of the primary ones that Paul talks about. Uh-huh. And and uh, in, in that regard, um, we know that in the accusing and excusing, um, the Bible also speaks of how our conscience can be seared, or we can be callous to it. Then we can develop a callous around it. So we begin to approve the things um, that are evil. Uh, we we call good evil and evil good. Um, you know the Bible. Sp- speaks about uh, the fact that our our love uh, should grow more and more in knowledge and discernment so that we can approve the things that uh-huh. are excellent yeah. Yeah. Uh, and be sincere and without offense so yeah there's a you know there's there's a good conscience and a bad conscience and that's one of the things that we have to be careful of that when we're saying let your we don't want to do the um, you know the Pinocchio Jimmy Cricket let your conscience be your guide kind of thing because that conscience is either a good or a bad guide as well. Yeah, I mean, um, I think that's important to point out is that the conscience is fallible. Mm-hmm. Now, there are, are principles on, on, on how you should act uh, if your conscience is telling you to do something, and we'll, we'll talk about that you know, in the next mm-hmm. two or three shows. The conscience is a fallible thing. It's, that's why we said it's not identical to the Word of God. Uh, maybe one more thing. Um, I just want to emphasize one of the things you said, Phil, is um, your conscience is not your preferences. Right. Um, uh, a number of times in our in our own church, uh, people will say, well, I don't like how you're practicing such and such. They'll come to the elders and say, I don't like how you're practicing such and such. That violates my conscience. And I'll say, 
are we forcing you to do such and such? Are, are you being compelled to do such and such against, you know, what you think that the word of God says? Well, no. Well, then <laughs> we're not violating your conscience. You just don't like what we're doing. But that's <laughs> preferences is not identical with conscience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Paul, did you, would you like to speak? Well, I, I think um, the key throughout all of this is <clears throat> that the conscience without a proper mooring is um, is liable to danger and difficulty. And so uh, I think the, the big thrust of what we're trying to get at is the absolute necessity of not only a mooring, but a proper mooring yeah. of the conscience. Yeah. Um, I've often used the image of a kite to describe conscience. Um, now you think about a, a flying, a, going out on a windy day and flying a kite. The kite flies because it's grounded by the string. Uh, you cut the string and the kite will fall to, fall to the ground. Um, and, and conscience is like that. It's got to be moored in something, as you, as you say, Paul, um, in, order, in order to function properly. Um, and once again, going back to Luther at the, when he stood before the, uh, church authorities at uh, Worms, um, he said to go against conscience is neither safe nor right. And what he meant by that is that his conscience was captive to the word of God, grounded, moored. Yeah. And, uh, so, but the, the modern world doesn't see the conscience as moored in anything. It's just it, it, do what you feel yeah. in your heart to be right. Right. And uh, that calls to mind the very, one of the most chilling verses of the Bible, the very last verse of the book of Judges, where it says, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's chaos. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, uh, so in other uh, words, people will use, sometimes people will use the language of conscience and the Westminster confession talks about this as yes. a, as a pretense for all sorts of ungodliness absolutely. And, and, and licentiousness. A- absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, m- maybe real quick, uh, I, I don't want to run out of time before we get to this. So one of the reasons why our conscience is, is so vital, so important, um, Listen to what Paul says at the end of 1 Timothy chapter 1. He's talking about charging Timothy with not allowing different doctrines to be taught other than the ones, the one faith once delivered down to the saints. This charge I entrust you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. So one of the dangers of... Not having your conscience bound by the word of God is that your faith uh, can actually become shipwrecked. Jonathan, you talked about searing your conscience. It, the, mm-hmm. the more we violate our conscience when it's held captive to the word of God, is uh, we we damage it. Um, and and the the more conscience your conscience is damaged, the more and more you're going to walk in darkness. Right. You know, um, th- this is one of the problems with 
conscience because actually we adjust our conscience all through our life, um, you know, and that conscience can be adjusted by the by external influences of society and friends and other things who want to convince us that these things are good and beneficial to us. And and um, so we're constantly adjusting that from from infancy through adulthood. There is a problem that we can actually, uh, you know, I mentioned searing the conscience. That might be an old old word, uh, but, you know, it's it's basically developing a callous yeah. um, to the things of God, not being able, not being able to hear his word, um, informing us and guiding us. You know, as a goal, as Christians, we want to be conformed to the image of Christ. We yeah. want to be more and more like Christ. Yeah. And it's not wrong. You know, I mean, you know, the, a number of years ago, people tried to address the conscience by wearing the little bracelets with the WWJD. What would Jesus do? What would Jonathan do? What would Jonathan do? <laughs> yeah, that's what I always ask myself. <laughs> what, what, what would Jesus do? Uh, but, the, but, the, but the point is, is you will never know what Jesus will do unless you read his word and know what he did. Amen. 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 I, I think I want to end here, if it's possible, um, on that great chapter of conscience. If you want to go to see uh, some of the greatest writing on conscience, go to chapter 20 in the Westminster Confession. It's called Of, of Christian Liberty and Liberty of Conscience. Here's how the gospel um, applies, uh, has won our conscience. Uh, paragraph one. The liberty which Christ has purchased for believers under the gospel consists in their freedom from the guilt of sin, the condemning wrath of God, the curse of the moral law, and in their being delivered from this present evil world, bondage to Satan, dominion of sin, from the evil afflictions, the sting of death, the victory of the grave, and everlasting damnation. That's what Jesus did for us. Yeah. Uh, when he died and was buried and he rose again, He one of the, the greatest effects of the gospel is that now we have a clear conscience as we stand before yeah. God. Amen. Um, you, you've been listening to the Gospel for Life. Please continue to listen to this series. We're going to talk about how this applies to some very touchy modern situations that we find ourselves in. Um, just subscribe to The Gospel for Life wherever you subscribe to podcasts. We'll see you next time.